Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, everyone. Dana Bash here. Up next is my interview with Arnold Schwarzenegger. If this is your first time listening to Total Recall, California's political circus, you may want to go back and listen to the episodes in order, starting with episode one. Welcome to the circus. Hey, how are you doing? How are you? Thanks for having us at your beautiful home. Arnold Schwarzenegger invited me to his house in Los Angeles recently. And what's striking is just how him it is. There's a poolside sculpture from his bodybuilding days. There's a portrait from when he was governor. And there's a slew of family photos all over the house. All right, let's do it. Okay, I think we're going to sit over there. But before we get started, i got to tell you about his two really unusual pets. Wait, this is Lulu or Whiskey? This is Lulu. Hi, Lulu. You're so cute. Whiskey. Sorry about this. <laughs> there you go. Hi, Whiskey. Do you want some of this? He has a miniature horse and donkey. They were Christmas gifts, and they're quite the pair. They live in stables in the backyard, but often come into the house. And they eat some surprisingly good food as treats. So what do you feed yeah. them? Well, it's uh, makes those cookies that actually yeah. try one. <laughs> this actually looks good. You're giving them some good stuff. Yeah, open cookies. Oh, and wow. Every animal in the house loves them. Oh and God, even all so the good. boys, everyone loves them. Yeah, they're really good. I feel guilty like I'm taking their food. The thing with the donkeys and with the miniature pony is... If you don't like something, they kick you. Yeah. If it's a mic or anything like that, they just kick you. Yeah, so if they, and as it turns out, them, that's a lesson our producer, Haley Thomas, learned the hard way. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. It just was the, totally the mic. But while Whiskey may have been less than excited about the microphone, Schwarzenegger was eager to talk. In fact, he revealed more than I ever expected about what it was like for him to run in the California recall back in 2003 and what was going on behind the scenes. He went further and deeper down memory lane than he has maybe ever in an interview about the recall that made him governor. And that was a very good thing because, honestly, even after learning all about the 2003 California recall, I still had a lot of questions. I'm CNN chief political correspondent Dana Bash. Welcome to Total Recall, California's political circus. Okay, well, this is going to be probably top three silliest questions I've ever asked, but I want it on the tape. So could you introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Arnold Schwarzenschnitzel, <laughs> and I come from Austria. Born in Austria and made in America. <laughs> I want to ask about the big picture first. You've said in interviews that I've read that you were, quote, born to be a leader. Why is that? And why do you feel that way? Well, I don't know why that is. 
But, but how, they, how did they, I, I just you come felt across that? that? Well, because ever since I was a little kid, I always somehow was able to manage to have people around me and to follow me. Arnold Schwarzenegger's early life is, at this point, legendary. He was born in a village in Austria, and his big break came when he discovered bodybuilding. Then when I started working out in the weightlifting club, it was kind of like people wanted to organize and wanted to find out what did I do in the weekend? Can we all work out together? And they wanted me to take the lead. So I just felt that by nature, not that I chose that I want to be a leader. It's just, you know, we, we grow up with certain abilities. And so it's just something that I, I think I was born with and I used it wisely because of that. He was featured in the legendary bodybuilding documentary, Pumping Iron. And then he made a leap to movies, becoming one of the biggest stars in the world. And eventually, he was elected California governor. It was, in many ways, the American dream. And Schwarzenegger was always the hardworking go-getter. He told me that once he has a goal, he pursues it relentlessly. So, I mean, it was kind of really, with the help of everybody, I was able to achieve my goal or my new vision and goal. I said, it's new because when I was a kid, I never dreamt about being governor. This is a new goal of mine, a new madness. And so I went after that and chased it. But that chase was delayed because at that point in time, Schwarzenegger couldn't simply drop everything and run for governor. I think that I was thinking about running for governor already in 2002. And um, it was just that I was too deep into my contractual obligations for Terminator 3 that I was not able to run. By the time the recall effort became a reality in 2003, Schwarzenegger felt like it was the perfect moment. I think that there was, at the time, a lack of leadership I felt there were mistakes that were being made. People were kind of screaming kind of for help. And I said to myself, this is the perfect time that you have to step in and say, I am the action hero. Use that kind of backdrop, right? And the movies and all that stuff. I'm an action hero. I will create action in Sacramento. I will clean house. You can count on me. I will clean house. There will be no one in my way. And so people said, oh, my God, this is, that would be fantastic. And just like in the action movies, I saw Gray Davis as the enemy and I had him in my vision as the villain. I had him as the villain because that's what I need to do in order to get the energy, right? So I couldn't just say, well, I'm sure he's a great family man and he's a wonderful husband and he's a good guy. And all that. that doesn't work. You had to psych then, yourself then, up. I have to psych myself. It's like with bodybuilding. I always said to kind of put these people that I wanted to do to kill on the stage. I he to told me the that the way he psyched himself up for the recall campaign was by framing the election in his mind as David versus Goliath. But in his version, Gray Davis was Goliath. I know that sounds far-fetched, but Schwarzenegger cast himself in the weaker position. He was a Republican in a heavily Democratic state, going up against an opponent who had won re-election just one year earlier and had nationally known Democrats behind him. And so us, Gray Davis, was bringing out the national leaders. Clinton came out and campaigned for him. Gore came out. Jesse Jackson came out, my buddy. Jesse Jackson came out. I mean, John Kerry, my friend, he came out. So all of these guys came out. Uh, from and then they were nationally monsters and really well known. And yeah, respected. but they were mere mortals. 
But here's the important thing. They came out and they said, yes, California is in trouble, but who would you want to do your heart surgery? Uh, you want to have an experienced heart surgeon or do you want to have someone that does it the first time? So that was their kind of gimmick. They wanted to say, you need someone experienced right now. And I came back and they just said, look, it doesn't help you when you have an experienced heart surgeon and he kills every patient. <laughs> I said, I will be the inexperienced heart surgeon, but I will not kill the patient. I will save the patient. I said, so that's the difference. And despite all those Democratic heavy hitters coming out to campaign for Davis, Schwarzenegger actually asked big-name Republicans to steer clear, including then-President George W. Bush. And I kept saying when Bush called me and Karl Rove called me, he says, do you need any help? I said, no, 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 no. Please don't come out. Don't talk. I want to be just me and the, God, and the voters. Let it be between me and the voters. And so the people just love that. And so this whole idea that I envisioned could work of being me being the little guy and then being the monsters. And this is exactly the way it worked. Totally turned it on its head. Oh, it was like, it was like a, a, a jewel. During the campaign, though, just on the whole idea of you being an action hero, your campaign buses were named after your movies. I guess you figured, I'm the most famous guy in the world. Why not capitalize on it? I have so many assets because of my careers, plural, careers, that why would I not use bodybuilding? And I say, we're going to pump up the economy. Mm -hmm. Well, it comes from the word pumping iron, from the famous documentary, Pump. So, of course, I would say that a regular politician doesn't have any of that, because what did they have before? Nothing. They're running for politics because they maybe can get a job anywhere else. So, I mean, so it's a totally different ball game, you know, that I came from already two successful, highly successful careers, being the all-time greatest bodybuilder and then going into the movie business where everyone said you would never make it because of your accent and your name no one can pronounce and all that stuff and uh, because you're a foreigner and then I become the highest paid entertainer and actor in the history and now I'm stepping into politics, of course I'm going to use all of this past, you know, and that I'm very proud of. And you know something? That's what people knew me for and they expected that. The only thing I have to tell you is it has also a disadvantage. Because the advantage is, yes, you get elected. But the disadvantage is that when we had a drought in the Central Valley, and I went up there and had a town hall meeting, they said to me, says, Governor, we need you to help us to turn on that water. And I said, well, I can't turn on the water. I said, the federal government has said no. The guy jumped up and he says, I voted for an action hero. This is the mayor. He says, I voted for an action hero. The mayor said that? Yeah. He says, I voted for an action hero. What are you telling me now? Like a regular politician? He says, I expected you to go up there and to take this wheel, to rip the chain off just the way you do in the movies. What's the matter with you? He says, you turn that wheel, you rip the chain off, and the water is gashing out, and then it all gets green. And everyone has jobs. That's what I voted for. And now you're telling me that you're one of those regular guys that you have to wait for federal judges to say, okay, 
no, 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 no. That's not what I voted for. So I did this whole thing. How did this you respond to like, that? I'm sitting, I couldn't <laughs> because I said to myself, I don't shut up now. Yeah, of course I wanted to say something, but I said to him, shut up because you won because of that. And this is your disadvantage. That's what you got. So I was laughing inside of myself. I said, that serves you right. You wanted to sell yourself as an action hero. <laughs> and, and, know, so and that's, that's what, what you get. Of course, Schwarzenegger had been selling himself as an action star from the very beginning, starting with his campaign announcement on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. And this is why he needs to be recalled. And this is why I'm going to run for governor. I didn't want to go the traditional route because for that I would have needed a team. At that point, I didn't have a team. And uh, so I felt like in order to not tell anybody and to keep it a secret, I should go on The Tonight Show and just make the dinner, not even tell Jay Leno. He did not know. You know, he's, I said to him, I said, I'm going to go and make an announcement if I'm not going to run or run, because at that point, the pressure was really high. Yeah, I know, I remember. Why was it so important to keep it a secret like that? Uh, because you cannot even uh, trust sometimes your closest aides. Everyone is leaking. Hmm. And so therefore I felt like if I don't tell anybody, not even my wife, we had discussions about it, but she made it very clear, Maria, that whatever decision you make, I will support. So it was not like, you know, she didn't want me to run or anything like that. Um, so I just decided that, you know, no one needs to know and people should find out when I say it under the night show. And so that's exactly the way I handled it. And it was brilliant. It was very successful. People were shocked about it and they were delighted about it and all this stuff. And so I got a really good head start because there became a debate about how I announced it <laughs> for the first time ever. Anyone at the, to do campaign and to make an announcement for a campaign at this level to do it on the tonight show is like a whole new thing. It was so a whole new thing. Normally, do it with a serious press conference and with all the press and all this. So this kind of threw off everyone. So this is how much sizzle there was about me the running. I remember. I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I was around back then. I remember. Yeah. But it was especially interesting because y you would think somebody who is a celebrity would want to be announcing in a more, as you said, serious venue. But you said, screw it. I'm going to do it on The Tonight Show. Well, I felt that Jay Leno is a very good friend. Mm -hmm. I always did things together with Jay Leno. And, um, so it was a has, comfortable, comfortable place. Well, comfortable, but I mean, he, he, I also wanted to do something for him. It's not for me. He was very helpful in every way. He's kind of like a very good friend. And so I felt like, well, I should go to the, the night show. But anyway, I did the, the night show. And from then on, you know, we did everything else the regular way. Well, and nothing was really regular, to yeah, be honest I, with you. Yeah, I wouldn't ever use that word to describe you or your campaign. <laughs> no, you, you, you're right. Because it, the, the first press conference we then did out of the gate was with George Schultz, who was Secretary uh, of State under Reagan. And then I had Warren Buffett on my left side. Anyway, I want to thank, first of all, my co-chairs, Secretary Schultz and Warren Buffett for not only being the co-chairs, but also for assembling, helping me assemble this great team of the best and the brightest economic leaders and business leaders of Korea. And I said to myself, okay, press, go ahead and uh, say something. Yeah. Attack. Now tell me that I don't look serious. Exactly. These two so guys so that was the idea because they both were very good friends and I felt like that I should 
plan that as the series press conference and have the first one, the more entertaining one that would go worldwide very quickly, like wildfire, and then to make the second one a more serious press conference. And it worked like a jewel. It seemed as though this was something that was very carefully choreographed and calculated. But what you're telling me now is that it was, but it was just in your head. I would say that the majority of things on my recall campaign was not at all choreographed. A lot of it was just put together. Remember my saying, improvisation is the art of field work. Mm-hmm. And I believe in that. I'm very good in making, doing improvisation and making adjustments. And this happened throughout the entire campaign like that. But Schwarzenegger says, despite that flexible approach to campaigning, he got a lot of help. He said, I have my own energy and I have my own visions and my own beliefs. But in order to achieve those things, I need help. And I always got that help. In bodybuilding, I got the help. In acting, I got the help. And in politics, I got that help. And so this is why I was able to win, because there was a lot of people that helped me throughout these two months of campaigning. And then there were almost six million people that voted for me. Don't ever call me a self-made man, because I'm not. And a lot of that help came from his in-laws. Stay with us. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra-processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff. And some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Before the break, Schwarzenegger told me he got a lot of help on the campaign trail. And a lot of that support came from one of the most experienced political families in American history. Remember, he married into the Kennedy dynasty. His then-wife, Maria Shriver, is JFK, RFK, and Ted Kennedy's niece. You know, I think people look at it and think, oh, well, he's married into the Kennedys and they have this machine, but it's so much more personal than that. It's that they're your family and they know you, not just politics. Well, it had nothing much to do with politics. Why? Because they knew my heart. So they know me, mm-hmm. that they know that I don't look at that, is this a Republican? Is this a Democrat? If he's a Republican, I will help him. If he's a Democrat, I won't. They know that I don't care about any of that. I happen to be a, um, influenced politically by Richard Nixon. 
uh, when I came over here, I watched him campaign and run against Humphrey. That had a tremendous effect on me, a real serious impact on me, that I became a conservative. I just came from a socialistic country. So they know this history. Even though they didn't like Nixon and all that stuff, but they knew I'm a conservative. This is a reaction of coming from a socialistic country. And, but this guy, says his heart is in the right place. So therefore, there was never a question like Teddy saying, I'm not going to help you when you ask me for help because you're a Republican. Never. Some of Teddy never even talked about Republican and Democrats. On top of it, they always had Republicans and Democrats over at their house. Very good friends. So they, 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 in the old days, that's what you it was did. It's a different time. It's not like the day, right? And that meant not only did he have his extended family's support, he also had their political expertise. My mother-in-law, Eunice, she said to me, says, you should talk to Teddy. Teddy was, of course, her brother, Senator Ted Kennedy. So I said, okay, I, I, I totally agree with you. He's very experienced. So I went to Teddy and I said to him, I said, what's the trick? And he said to me, he says, Arnold, don't ever get into details. Mm. So I said to myself, he says this because I really don't know that much about politics and about policy. But that's not what he meant. I said, what do, you, what do you mean? And he said to me, he says, one time, he says, you know, I'm the number one expert when it comes to healthcare. Mm -hmm. He says, one time I was having Senate hearings. And when I came out of the Senate chamber, a journalist ran after me and says, when do we hear the specifics? Can you talk right now about the specifics? He says, you can never satisfy them because the more specific you get, the more they can attack you. He says, so always be 30,000 feet up there and just always tell them, there's an event coming up for that. Where are we going to go into details? But were you just bullshitting? No. Oh, no, because you meant it. I, I, I meant it, yes. Okay. But I mean, the, the thing is, let that event be the detail. Mm -hmm. Ted Kennedy's advice really complimented Schwarzenegger's natural campaign style. He leaned hard on his celebrity charisma while going light on policy details in the day-to-day. -day. And that approach was on full display during the 2003 recall debate. Who would have thought that a large television audience would actually watch a political debate, particularly in California? But this is, after all, the Super Bowl of debates. Like the rest of the campaign, the debate was kind of a circus. There were 78 satellite trucks parked outside. 78. They'd say Japanese riding on it, then Chinese riding on it, and Indian riding, and Austrian, and German riding, and French riding. They were they're from all over the world. Mm. And from all over the United States with all the networks and CNN. and Everyone, everyone was there. Mm -hmm. Well, they didn't come to see Cruz Bustamante. <laughs> that no one knew who he was. And still today, no one knows who he is. And this has nothing to do against him. Yeah. This is just that. They're just the, not uh, you. No, it's a lieutenant governor. Who knows the lieutenant governor? So this is the way it is. So it's not against Bustamante. He just thought that he can come there as the experienced statesman and sit there at the debate and start talking about what well, Arnold wouldn't know that. But here's the way it works. And then I started making some jokes and had some fun with the candidates. And they did exactly with them what they do in a bodybuilding competition. Which is? Psych them out and put them away psychologically, not necessarily with policy issues, because I think by that time people knew what my policy issues were. But what was important was that this intense and tense environment 
in the audience where everyone was silent. The debates, because it's a very serious thing when you do debate. That's stupid. A bunch of idiots sitting up there and having a good time and talking about policy. That's it. But I mean, they made it kind of, oh, this is a university. Mm-hmm. This is an academic environment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ariana, let me just say just one thing. You personal, your personal income tax have the biggest loophole. I can drive my Hummus through it. That's oh, how big the loophole no. is. Let me tell you something. I don't know what you're talking about. So when I did the first joke, I knew. When I did the first joke, it would break the ice and everyone then would laugh. It's all about being likable. What do people say after the debate? They say, I like this guy. No one can repeat what they said. They say, I like this guy. You know, he was really friendly. He was actually, I sounded smart. You know, he was really funny. So that's it. So that's why they tell you always, before you do a speech, make a joke. Win the audience over. Make them believe in you and like you. And then you can sell anything you want to them. It's about how you make people feel. That's exactly. And then, so that's exactly what I did. I studied and worked on a few jokes where I said that, that this, this four or five jokes could work. You know, it was like, it was the greatest entertainment. Is that how you saw it at that point? I, I thought it was, uh, I got exactly what I wanted to get out of it, which is to make my poll numbers go up and to make everyone else's poll numbers go down. That's exactly what you do in a competition. And that's exactly what I was successful at. And that's all I needed, this extra push to make sure that I have a clean run and a victory. Did you expect to win? Yeah, absolutely. I had it so clear in my vision that I would be the next governor. It was not even funny. But as we know, there would be some bumps in the road. Just five days before the vote, Arnold Schwarzenegger is admitting he's behaved badly with women. He made the statement after a newspaper article in the L.A. Times alleged he groped and degraded women on six occasions over the last three decades. You're going to hear Schwarzenegger's side of the story next. Last episode, we walked you through the wild final week of the campaign. I wanted to know now how Schwarzenegger looks back at the allegations that came out right before Election Day. The L.A. Times published a story on October 2nd that blew everything up, saying um, having there were details accounts. Uh, there were detailed accounts of various women saying that uh, you sexually harassed them. Take me inside the campaign. I don't time. think that's correct, what you just said. Oh, okay, so correct me. I think it was me. more groping charges okay. than sexual harassment. There was never a sexual harassment charge, Okay. Uh, period. There was groping charge. So I think that I personally don't want to get really into it. Uh, I just tell you that the people of California didn't buy into that at all. Can you tell me what happened inside, the, just strategically, how Nothing. you guys handled it? Nothing. I mean, there was not much to handle. It was just, I, I read it and I said to myself, you know, maybe there is uh, a situation where uh, girls honestly felt like that. I want to apologize to them. And so that's what I did. So I remember that Friday when we were on a campaign trail, the first thing I did was I said to, you know, the story came out in the early times. I feel terrible if women feel like that. I said, that, but the fact of the matter is, you know, in entertainment business, it's a different kind of a standard sometimes and blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. But but I think what was important is if that would have come out a month before or two months before, it would have been a totally different ballgame maybe. But because it was intentionally four days before the election, people immediately got it that this is a campaign strategy of the other camp. 
and they would do anything and the early times being liberal would run this story at that time and have you know endless amount of investigators involved and all of stuff and it backfired on them big time how so well because there were thousands and thousands of people canceling their prescription subscription to the early times and they overwhelmingly voted for me it was kind of saying to the early times screw you you're not going to go and pull that trick on us we like what you write we like your paper we buy your paper but here what you've done you went overboard it was political and you know the reporter for the LA Times says no campaigns gave them the story that they did their own investigating look do you think that they would tell you the truth do you think that anyone in this business would tell you the truth are you kidding me come on it was it was it, it totally it was so obvious to everybody including myself but remember They always say for every attack there's a defense and we have found a defense and we went beyond that and we won and it drove them crazy. You talk you just said that it was a different time you weren't born saying I'm going to be a politician which a lot of your opponents did. You were in the movie business you had a completely different life and life style and and a different approach. So given that when you went into politics did you think what's going to come out am I going to have to worry about things was that something that was part of your calculus? I also knew that there will be questions on the campaign about steroids and I answered them. I never said, well, I looked at them, but I didn't use them or any of those kind of things. Well, you smoke your Cuban cigars. I said, yes, and I also inhaled them, unlike some people. And uh, then they said, yeah, but we saw this video where you were with naked women in a Playboy channel Uh, about your trip to uh, uh, Rio de Janeiro. I said, yes. I said, that's absolutely true. I said, I tell you, Rio de Janeiro is a great place. I said, that those women were fantastic. Um, but say, so this had the way I answered it, just the way it was. So as they came along and they tried to bust me on things, I would answer those questions. Because, look, I really never wanted to be an altar boy. That was not my goal. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm me. I have... Great advantages. I have great strength, and I have great ideas. I'm a visionary, but I have flaws. I have flaws, and I'm the first one to admit it. I have shortcomings, and I've made mistakes, and I feel horrible about that. That broke up our marriage because of those mistakes, and, and all of this stuff. I said, but that's me. You know, I can't jump over my own shadow. That's the way it is. So I'm never denying anything. I'm the first one to always say, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and, and that's it. That's just the way I operate. And so I never wanted to put the fake Arnold forward. I always wanted to put the real Arnold forward. But Schwarzenegger insists he never worried that any of these controversies would stop him from becoming governor. No, I, I said to myself that uh, whatever I did, you know, I would be able to defend And uh, my vision for becoming governor was just at that point too great to worry about anything else. Mm -hmm. So I was 100% convinced that I would become governor and that I would get reelected by a huge majority, which exactly is what happened. And uh, that's, that's the bottom line. He was right. Schwarzenegger won handily. But the transition from campaigning to governing is incredibly hard. 
It's hard for anyone, especially someone who's never served in elected office before. I started thinking about and worrying about because I, I knew I only would have like a month and a half of a transition period. The way that some people have described it is you kind of went to school uh, on on those issues that you knew you would have to be prepared for. I, is well, that true? Yeah, well, because you see, there's one thing you learn in bodybuilding. And since I get most of my lessons from sports, one of them is it's all about reps. And the funny thing about it is my wife, Maria, she said to me, she says, you will be excellent. I've watched it now. You will be excellent in politics. But I don't think that you're going to have the patience for the policies. And exactly the opposite happened. Because I thought that politics really screws everything up. Rather than worrying about, is this a conservative idea? Is this a liberal idea? And where, you know, do something for the party and all this. I thought that we should be much more issue-oriented and do what is best for our people. He carried that commitment to bipartisanship with him, even when it came to his opponent in the 2003 election, Gray Davis. He advised me when I became governor. He was a friend. We hung out together. We socialized together. And we supported each other and every step of the way and all of this stuff. So this is the kind of relationship we have. He's a wonderful man. And Sharon is a wonderful woman. And uh, they're a terrific couple. And that feeling is mutual. When I spoke to Davis, he said a very similar thing about Schwarzenegger. I worked closely with him during the transition and that we have worked uh, together ever since. I've been at his institute at, at USC six or seven times at his request. We, we try and find ways to work together uh, because uh, he was a little right of center and I was a little left of center, but we basically believe in getting stuff done. Schwarzenegger says that kind of cooperation between former foes feels like something from a bygone era. To me, this is, it makes no difference. Democrat, Republican, as long as you are an honest uh, public servant, someone that is really interested in helping the people and not selling out to the special interests. That is the key thing. you got to be thinking about what is best for the people and what's best for the state or for the country. He says his approach was unique because of his background. He was an outsider, literally. And that gave him a different perspective on American politics. And that's what kind of threw people off in a way, because they felt like, well, wait a minute, sometimes he talks like an, a Democrat, sometimes as a Republican, where they could never really put me in a box, even though I was a Republican, like healthcare. So I think that the state that is, you know, uh, the number one state in the union and the fifth largest economy, we should have everyone insured. Uh, I think this is just me, the Austrian, uh, and the American kind of, like I said, those two mentalities coming together. I fought with the Democrats and I fought with, fought with the Republicans when I was governor. Democrats didn't like me because I was conservative, and the Republicans didn't like me because they thought I was not conservative enough. Which meant you were doing something right. Exactly. <laughs> that outsider story should sound familiar. Politicians try to take advantage of it all the time, and it can be powerful, especially for celebrity politicians. Do you look at your campaign and your successful run for governor as a template for other celebrities, or is that just not possible because you're so unique? And nobody, no two people are the same. Well, it depends always what you call a celebrity. I think that one thing we know in politics, name recognition is very important. If that means celebrity at the same time or not, I don't know. 
but I can tell you that it gives you a big advantage when people know who you are. But it comes with a two-edged sword because one side is helping you to propel and to go and elevate you and to be number one. The other side of it is that if you cannot follow through and if you're not that good as you are in popularity with your policy statements and with your answers, you will fall so fast. Mm. And the old saying comes in, you know, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Of course, I'm counting on my name recognition. I mean, people say, hey, Germanet, how are you doing? Hey, Predator, hey, uh, that was all great. But the bottom line is you got to then deliver. Mm -hmm. And I delivered. Schwarzenegger's victory was never guaranteed. I mean, this was only the second successful gubernatorial recall in American history. And there hasn't been another since, including the most recent attempt to recall Governor Gavin Newsom. Good evening. It appears uh, we are enjoying an overwhelmingly uh, no vote tonight here in the state of California. The recall in 2021 had a lot in common with 2003. An embattled Democratic incumbent, dozens of candidates on the ballot, and a circus-like atmosphere. (laughs) 2021 had minions and a live bear showing up at campaign events. But this time, the deep divisions between parties played a much bigger role. Here's Newsom's chief rival, Larry Elder. I wasn't running just against Gavin Newsom. I was running against the left-wing media. I'm running against a media that serves as a public relations bureau for the left. And we still scared the bejesus out of them. Because, of course, party politics are just more polarized now than they were in 2003. The bipartisan approach that Schwarzenegger strived for has nearly disappeared. Well, to be honest with you, I mean, I'm worried about both parties. Both parties need to come together and work together because you cannot have just run the country on 50% of the brain power. You need 100% of the brain power. So therefore, you need Republican ideas when you do healthcare reform. You need Democratic ideas when you do healthcare reform. You need Republican ideas when you do the infrastructure. You need Democratic ideas Can when you do the infrastructure. Can we, we get back there? Can we get to that We can, but it needs leadership and it needs... It, you can't just do this, look... It's very rarely do you see them coming together and hanging out together and saying, what can we do together? That's what their responsibility is. That's why they get elected, to work together. I'm telling you, when I ran for governor, there was I went to a funeral for a firefighter. And Gray Davis introduced me to this, uh, the father of a firefighter that just passed away. And I said to him, I said, this is really great to meet you. I said, you know, and he says, when you go to Sacramento, he says, uh, just remember one thing. If you really want to honor my son, please work together. Mm. Bring Democrats and Republicans together. They both have good ideas. None of them has the, the, the kind of the, you know, the, the lock on good ideas. Both parties have good ideas. Take a little bit from this, a little bit from that. And this is exactly what I did. And I'm very proud of that. And I think that the guy says it all. To him, the most important thing was that we work together. And I think that's what they need to do on a national level, not to villainize each other, but to work together. Working together seems even harder these days, especially after the insurrection on January 6th. After seeing what happened, Schwarzenegger released a video that went viral. Maybe you saw it. 
He's sitting behind a desk and telling a story from his youth. I grew up in Austria. I'm very aware of Kristallnacht, or the night of broken glass. It was a night of rampage against the Jews carried out in 1938 by the Nazi equivalent of the Proud Boys. Wednesday was the day of broken glass right here in the United States. The broken glass was in the windows of the United States Capitol. I was so struck by your message after January 6th and talking about Kristallnacht. It was so incredibly powerful and resonant with so many people, even those who don't understand the history uh, back then. Can you expand on that and, and why you felt the need to say what you said in that message? I just felt that it was so sad of what happened on January 6th. You know, this is so much kind of a feeling of what they were talking about when we were talking about in a Nazi time of when people were lied to all the time and what that led to. And so this is what motivated me then to do the speech and to make that the theme of the speech. It's not to call anyone here Nazi by any means, but just what happens to when people are being lied to about elections, how eventually this whole thing can go really quickly south. So we went through some unbelievable times in America. And we always kind of pulled out of it. And so it reminded me on one of those very difficult moments again when this happened in, on January 6th. And I just said to myself, we got to do, work together and do everything we can to pull out of that again. So what have we learned from the 2003 recall? Why was it worth revisiting, spending all this time on? Well, it laid the groundwork for what happened in California in 2021. The lessons learned in 2003 were crucial to Newsom's blowout win. So next episode, we're going to explore the 2021 recall. We'll take you through how it played out compared to 2003 and what this means for the next chapter of California politics and the country as a whole. That's next episode of Total Recall, California's Political Circus. This podcast is a production of CNN Audio. Megan Marcus is the executive producer and Haley Thomas is the senior producer. This episode was produced by Will Cadigan. Emmanuel Johnson is our associate producer and Eden Getachew is our production assistant. Story editing by Lacey Roberts. Mixing and sound design by Dan DeZula and Erica Huang. With support from Abby Sharp, Ethan Cohen, Ashley Lusk, Rafina Ahmad, Lindsay Abrams, Lisa Namaro, Nadia Lancey, Emma Lacey Bordeaux, and Courtney Coop. I'm Dana Bash. Thank you so much for listening. New episodes drop weekly, so do follow our show where you get your podcasts and give us a rating and review. And if you like this show, you might also like CNN's other podcasts. Find them at cnn.com slash audio or your favorite podcast app. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.